You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. So, um, I'm usually like the first to call myself dumb and the last to believe it, but the first to believe it are our listeners, because I bet they listened to the last episode where we were like, is Ducalion even in season five? <laughs> I was so convinced. That he wasn't, you're right. Uh, but he is. He's there. Be not, handsome as ever. <laughs> not just in mention, but like physically. He's there. There was his face and his claws. And his eyes. That are no longer working. No. Sad. Did we ever get an ex- I do now remember that he's in this season, and I do remember that scene. Do we ever actually get the explanation as to why the eyes go bye-bye? Oh, he says in this episode that, like, the gift from the dark druid that healed his eyes, like, it didn't last. And maybe that's because they killed Jennifer? I don't know. Peter killed Jennifer. Peter did kill Jennifer. I wish Peter was here. He really does solve problems <laughs> as much as he creates them. He solves his own problems that he created. You gotta respect a man with consistency <laughs> like that. Yeah. I mean, we did we did get another man who was incredibly consistent in this episode. Gerard. For realsies. Yeah. This time. Yeah. I, when he refers to himself as a necessary evil, I'm like, yeah, but I, I brought this up to you. Uh, it feels like something happened between, in the writer's room, between 5A and 5B. 5A was so off the wall and so out of pocket and so (laughs) shitty that it turns out when they got to 5B, they were just like, shut up and play the hits. Bring back Duquelin. Bring back Gerard. Bring back Crystal Reed. Well, there was a hiatus. Yes. And they didn't bill it as like a separate story arc um, or like a a season that could be separated. It wasn't like 5A and 5B, technically. Um, but I wonder, I don't know how long the hiatus was, and I don't know what kind of conversations they were having um, post, like, during the hiatus and then, like, when they went back to production because, um, yeah, it is, this has been so much more enjoyable than the first half. Yes. I will say this episode didn't capture me as much as the previous one. No. Mostly because I couldn't see anything. It was really dark the entire time. <laughs> yes. Uh love that the sun stays out until about nine nine o'clock during the summertime but also oh my god i couldn't see anything because of the sun being out until nine o'clock yeah yeah night vision goggles required for mtv's teen wolf uh love and light to summer love and light (laughs) not in teen wolf no but love and light to our listeners yes i love them I love you guys. Same. Um, And we're going to highlight one listener because we got a new review on iTunes. Yay. Yeah, girl. so exciting. So while Julia's pulling this up, I will just remind you all that if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes and you leave us a note, we will read it out loud on the podcast and give you a little shout out. Um, Plugging our other stuff while we're doing that, you guys can buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. We put out all of our bonus content for free, so if you wanted to throw us some moolah, you are welcome, but not required to do so. Um, we also have stickers. Redbubble, Teen Wolf, Teen Wolf Rewolf. You can buy a sticker that says Christmas is deeply haunted on it. I told Danny that I'd get that in there, and I did. <laughs> Christmas is deeply haunted. I still believe it. Julia, do you want to read that review for us? Sure. This is five stars from Slap Chop City, and it says, came for the analysis, stayed for the delightful hosts. Christian Aww. and Julia somehow managed to bring hard-hitting and insightful analysis while also making me feel like I'm talking to two of my childhood friends. They make my weekly commute so much better, and I feel like a teenager all over again with every episode XOXO. That is Gossip so girl. sweet. I love to think yeah. that we're on like part of people's like journey to work, you know? 
Yes. I, I like, like being, you know, a part of somebody's day. Also, people are always are like, it's so crazy that you guys sound so much like friends. Oh. <laughs> people are like, wow. That is go- crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. No, I don't know. If, like, do we have to rehash the origin story? We have known each other for years. Of a course long we sound- time. We live together. <laughs> she drove me here. Yeah. yeah. We live together um, and have for a long time. But, you know, if, if you guys feel like we're your friends, cool. Live that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, siren <laughs> one. And a spicy one at that. This is a spicy siren. Good omen, bad omen. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> spicy siren. I actually feel like I haven't heard that version of siren <laughs> recently. <laughs> this is Sirens the Remix. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I got... We just I, got the Kygo remix of the <laughs> fire station sirens. Um, I did get a an air conditioner for the first time since living in this apartment, and I had a trash bag in my window <laughs> as, like, a temporary measure and was terrified that sirens would be going off and I would just hear them. Uh, but no, just now, during the podcast, saved it all up. It's funny, because we didn't have... For now. I feel like I haven't heard a siren all day, except for that one. It waited, and it was like, I'm gonna fucking <laughs> flaunt myself, like, this spicy, spicy siren. Remember when we used to start the podcast with World News? <laughs> Nothing fun is happening anymore. No. And by fun, I mean objectively terrible. Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, bad things are happening. Constantly, it is just... And also, I know we have a lot of international listeners, so, like, the daily news for Americans changed dramatically in, like, late January of this year. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why we don't start out with world news most of the time now. Yes. But world news is still happening. It is still happening. It didn't stop. Keep wearing your masks. Yes. Keep wearing your masks, especially now that the Delta variant is booming in this country and others. Yeah. And... Love and light to the people in Florida who are worried about uh, their family. Yeah, that is that's been really horrible. Yes. So there, there's your daily. There's some some you know happy times with the review, some shitty times with us bringing up the news, and now we're going to talk about MTV's Teen Wolf because this is a Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast, a podcast where we get there. You know, takes Eventually. a wee meander. My name is Christian. <laughs> I'm Julia, and we're ready to rock and roll. So uh, today we're talking about season five, episode fourteen, "The Sword and the Spirit," which is a Napoleon quote. Interesting. Uh, Yeah, speaking of spicy, um, it was written by Angela Harvey and directed by Katie Eastridge, who has also directed uh, on Nancy Drew and The Runaways. People really like Nancy Drew. Yeah, I like the concept of Nancy Drew. Have never met an adaptation that I particularly care for, but I haven't watched the new one, so maybe that's on my docket. Um, I'm sure you're going to have people who listen to this be like, Julia, you have to, have watch, to it. watch it. Guys, there's yeah. so much, I there's have so to much, watch. there's so much media to consume. Um, this felt like an Angela episode. Tight, tight. And yeah. I, it's funny cause I wouldn't even say it was like particularly like, um, sort of like on the edge of my seat, like we've seen in some of her previous episodes, but it is so, um, you know, it was, I meant to do, I was like, wow, it was really easy to follow. I never felt like it was leading me somewhere where I wasn't, you know, supposed to go. Also, the amount of girl conversations in this episode. Amazing. Out the wazoo. It was wonderful. Like, this is the most female screen time we've seen in forever. I also will say, if we're following up on the objectives of, like, the last couple of episodes of getting the band back together, I felt like that was really well-threaded into what was happening in this episode. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. We're getting back on the right track. Like I said, I think there was a huge shift between 5A and B, 
and most of my not remembering 5B is um, like just general dumbness, but most of my not remembering <laughs> 5A is active repression. <laughs> well, if it, listen, if it doesn't uh, make sense and it makes you feel dumb, uh, maybe I'm just speaking from personal experience. I'm like, mm, I don't see it and I won't respond to it. Well, no, I'm just kind of like, I am such a smart cookie. I don't actually think I'm dumb. Mm-hmm. That if I'm not following this, that's not my fault. <laughs> no, but it make like it makes you feel bad. Yeah. That I, you're not getting it. I elect to not feel bad about that. I elect to blame others. <laughs> hey, whatever helps you get through the day is my motto. Fair. Okay, enough's enough. Should we recap this episode? Let's do it. I think you are going first. Am I? I think so. Because I think I did it last time. <laughs> I have no idea. I literally have no idea. And I've lost track of who's on evens and odds. I th- Should we rock, paper, scissors? No, because I'm going to lose. I'll just go first. Jesus. Okay. I, I will All admit right. defeat right now. <laughs> All right. Um, well, Christian's going to try to recap this episode for us in a minute. Are you ready? I want you to consider the question you just asked me and know that no, absolutely no. not. Every, you know, every week, that's the definition of insanity. I ask you the same question, expecting a different response. No, every no. time. No. Nope. Okay. Well, <laughs> at least I'm consistent. Okay. But I'm going to give you a minute on the clock starting right now. So Chris and Gerard are in the leaky pipe factory looking for the beast and the Dread doctors roll up and Gerard somehow has a frequency in there that's on their frequencies. And then Chris finds a, bo- a swarm of bugs over a pile of 23 bodies, which gets taken to the hospital and Sheriff tells Parrish, like, this isn't your dream, even though he tells Scott and Styles and Kira that, uh, yeah, it is. Oops. Um, they tell them that the Dread doctors have been hiding the bodies for the beast. Meredith plays a uh, bad cop at Banshee School with Lydia. Theo gets uh, Malia to agree to getting Wolf Spained and then takes her to the Dread doctor place to, like, give her these goggles which will show her where the desert wolf is mr yukumir takes kira's sword because that is a vehicle for the fox and he's like you're gonna outfox the fox and then um the goggles like dig into malia's skull but then she finds out where her mom is and she's actually in beacon hills and then scott is oh and then malia tells tells liam to tell scott that the operating theater is actually in the tunnels and they go looking in the tunnels and then Braden and theo and malia make these plans to fight the desert wolf and then liam runs into scott at the leaky pipe factory like malia said and they I, uh, oh my gosh. And then Theo betrays Brayden and Malia because he's trying to get the claws that steal other people's powers. Wow. I was like really going well. And then my brain broke, you know, but you had some very crucial observations that I know that I did not write down in my notes. So that's good. Cool. Well, do you want to try to, uh, get maybe further into the episode than I did at least? I will do my best. You sure will. You usually do. Mm. I would like to say that I usually do my best, but I can't, I can't intellectualize that being my best. (laughs) Uh, you know, it's the instant recall. That's hard. Yeah. Even though you are reading from notes, it's like, I don't know what I wrote. I don't, can't read my own handwriting. Oh, I especially can't read my own (laughs) handwriting. Uh, Julia... Mm-hmm. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so Gerard and Chris are in the tunnels discussing the beast, and then Gerard encounters the Dread Doctors and is like, haha. Um, he uses the werewolf and to stop them and ask them what they're doing. Chris finds the bodies, Parrish sees the bodies, and like starts to freak out because his dreams are coming true. The kids tell the sheriff about the beast, and he's like, okay, well, that's not great. Um, Banshee School, Meredith is teaching Leah how to actually focus her voice. Um, Theo th- promises slash threatens Malia to help her find the desert wolf because he's like, Scott will never forgive you if Deaton has died. Um, the curfew is issued, and there's a bunch of armed police in the school. Mr. Yukimura takes away Kira's sword. Theo puts, um, like, 
the magic frequency glasses on Malia and she sees Deaton getting tied up and she's like, well, I know where he is. Malia goes to find Liam and she's like, hey, um, bring a message to Scott. He was right about the tunnels. And then she plots with Brayden to go find the desert wolf who lost some of her power and that's why she's like evil and has, uh, you know, a bunch of guns. Scott follows Liam into the hunt tunnels and they have like a little heart to heart moment. Malia and Brayden and Theo storm the castle. Um, Mer we get a little bit of a tragic backstory from uh, Meredith. And then Lydia sees that Malia is about to die, so she starts um, panicking. Styles is talking to um, the lifeless Ooh, Lydia. Oh, that would be it, my friend. Oh, I was trying to read my own handwriting, as previously mentioned. Well, you got a lot more into Eichenhaus than I did, which ends up being fairly important because we are now officially back at the f first scene we see in 5A. 14 episodes later. I'm so old. I've, yeah. I've <laughs> aged <laughs> since then. I really have. I'm... I. I Again, recalling what I felt about watching this season for the first time has been nearly impossible for me, but I really do think that I was so confused because I wasn't doing it the way we're doing it, like looking at it super closely. I was like, where did this come from? Do you actually feel less confused looking at it this closely? Uh, no, I don't feel less confused, but I recognize where that you feel scene more, came but from. You feel more justified in your confusion. You're <laughs> like, it actually wasn't my fault. Ha 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 ha. Yes, I'm more prepared this time around. Yeah. To just absolutely <laughs> dunk Rip on this into show. It. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be, well, let's, let's catch up a little bit. Yeah. So Malia does, not Malia, Lydia does break out of Eichenhaus only to get sucked back into Eichenhaus. Uh, Malia makes it to Deaton and saves him, but her mom gets away after Theo uh, betrays them, and he says that he didn't actually want to hurt Malia, which I kind of believe. Yeah, but he is only out in it for Theo. Yes. So. Respect. I mean, you know, not really, but what else, Keys? It is a tried and true trope of many a Teen Wolf character. And all of them do it on, like, different variations. We'll get into that, because we've got a lot of them to talk about this yes. episode. Uh, Chris and Gerard confront Parrish and say, uh, yeah, you're a hellhound. And nearly burn his eye out. And nearly Which burn is his a fun out. little moment, actually. Yes. I and thought they, it was funny. And they figure that gets, they figure out that gets triggered by an IED explosion in Afghanistan. Um, Liam meets Gerard, which is actually very funny. <laughs> very funny. Uh, and... They get most of the band back together to prep to get Lydia out of Eichenhaus, and then at the end we see that Tracy has captured Deucalion because Theo wants Deucalion to teach him how to use the claws to steal another werewolf's powers. So those claws work like rogue's powers, I guess? I guess. Well, he wants very specifically to steal the beast's power, mm, which, like, from a mile away, you can tell that that's not a great idea. Yeah. Um, but Deucalion, in exchange, wants Scott McCall's eyes on his claws, and he does this very fun little shing. Oh, we haven't gotten a good claw no. flick in a while. Because um, Isaac's gone. Oh, I know. I, I miss you, Isaac. I, there are so many people that I miss. Um, but Deucalion's back, so that's one less person, I guess. Yeah, from 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 almost last we saw Isaac. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, we loved. I love Deucalion. Like I said, like season five is B is like shut up and play the hits. Like we've got Gerard back. We've got Deucalion. Like Meredith is alive, kind of. She's speaking to us from the spirit world. Yeah, well, and also, uh, you can tell how bad it's gotten because we've gone on record as really not liking Gerard just on any level because we no, love not, a villain. Yeah, I mean, not even interested in him as a villain, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, thank God. Thank you so Somebody much. Somebody with, like, a little bit of <laughs> finesse. Like, the Dread Doctors aren't even interesting. There's no, like... They don't talk, except for the 
She must be terminated. And it's so boring. It's so boring. It's so boring. Like, I, one of the things that we found most boring about Gerard is that his agenda is, like, so um, uninteresting and, like, inflexible. Um, except for when he takes over the Canima, obviously. Um, but, like, he had an agenda that was vocalized and, like, believed in. And the fact that the Dread Doctors believe in nothing and are just, like, basically, like, androids is, like, so boring it's it is one thing for a villain to not really believe in anything or to just believe in chaos that can be fun the nukitsune yeah like there was a certain element of revenge there but mostly it was just chaos uh so we like like, that we liked that because it Mm -hmm. didn't have an agenda like yeah uh, banana bread but anyway so we're gonna be talking about this episode through the theme of determination much like our determination to get through season five. We're going to do it, ladies. Um, and this is kind of an episode where we are stepping away from, like, sort of our um, big, like, emotional upsets. And everybody's just kind of, like, gritting their teeth and being like, I'm going to get through this. Which I appreciate. That's my main, like, <laughs> mo- emotion. The second I get on the train to go to work, I'm like, I'm going to get through this. And then I have to... Do it all over again. Um, so I relate. <laughs> Dude, today somebody lit incense on the train. Maybe they were just trying to bring good vibes to the station. I don't know. Okay, but here's the thing. It was raining and it was hot. So when you're underground and it's raining and it's hot, it is already disgusting. Oh, I'm not defending them any time in my life that it I've encountered. It like you were defending them. <laughs> I am just trying to provide an explanation, but truly, in a, on a personal level, never have I encountered incense, even in like a private setting, where I'm like, I'm enjoying this. I don't like it in general, and I wouldn't like it on the train. I think it smells okay, but it was just like, confined to space, it's already disgusting, and um, I don't really know what this is doing here like it very out of place it was for the rats yeah it was for the rats <laughs> the subway rats the subway rats they need the incense um just you know blessing them um, yeah <laughs> they're an important part of the ecosystem of they're Chicago. god's chosen animal <laughs> they yeah <laughs> um anyway so determination not to get off track too much <laughs> where would you like to start um oh gosh i feel like this is a pretty well balanced um an ensemble episode but i think perhaps we might want to start with scott you think yes scott not a huge part of this episode or he kind of is but in like an a way that is like you are not the main character sweetie no he's ever present people invoke him when he's not around um scott's still very much important but he takes a back seat today um yes but he, I think Scott's biggest thing is like whatever um, is has gone on around him, he's realized that everybody just has to be forgiven. Like we just all have to move on together and whatever it is, like we just have to decide that that is not worth bringing forward because we have to use our collective determination to get through this. And if Malia tells Liam that the tunnels are where he needs to be looking and Liam feels like he can't do it, but Scott has still been keeping an eye out on Liam because that's his baby. Mm -hmm. Scott will not 
do any like what's impressive to me is that Scott has figured out how a little bit to play the game with Liam. He doesn't confront him. He doesn't wait for Liam to come to him. He approaches him on what is like relatively neutral ground to be like, okay, we're going to do this. He mentions to him, by the way, you have not apologized, but I'm willing to put that behind me because we have shit to do. And they have a little H to H in the tunnels. Um, and then Liam's like, oh, damn, all we found is the stupid snake statue. And it's like, I wish that that moment didn't happen on, like, a joke. Yeah. But it just sort of is like, when you uncloud your judgment from fear of being rejected or from rejecting somebody, you all of a sudden are a little bit more open to your surroundings and finding things elsewhere. So once you've put forth the effort to move on in your life, you are able to then move on in your life. <laughs> What I really like about this particular interaction between Scott and Liam is it is kind it is a direct result of the conversation that was had in the previous episode, which we had our issues with. Um, but him being able to kind of hash things out with Liam, and this was post like or no hash things out with Styles in the last episode, because um, we had seen him kind of brush Liam off when they're off to Mexico to rescue Kira, New Mexico to rescue Kira. Um, because he doesn't really want to deal with it. And then he has this heart to heart with styles and they are kind of back in the groove. Um, Scott again is committed, determined to bring his pack back together. Um, and I don't know if we would have seen this little makeup between him and Liam had Scott and styles not had their makeup in the last episode. I think that's true. I think that Scott reopening himself to, um, uh, like it's funny how judgmental he got and when he sort of removes that from his his you know from clouding his vision he is able to move on he's able to reset what he's determined about and i think that scott has always been always been somebody who kind of proves that determination doesn't have to be about brute force mm-hmm. it can be about strategy and emotional intelligence and we are finally seeing that after i don't know 14 episodes of the season yeah well he even says very explicitly to liam that like anything Hayden is alive and anything that happened before that is just, we're not going to talk about it because it doesn't matter. And it is not, it isn't that it doesn't matter, but Scott is making that decision strategically to just pretend it didn't happen. Mad respect because you know how I feel about grudges. Mm -hmm. It is actually just easier in your life to be like, Hmm, that sucked. Anyway, like I just, I like, I think that he understands that the only thing that would come out of him actually demanding an apology from Liam is to hold them back. And he is too set on his path now to want to introduce that. Yeah. He also did not apologize to styles. So maybe no. just no one's apologizing for anything. Yeah. I wish there would have been an apology, but I wish there had been an apology for styles, but then there would have had to have been one with Liam. And I don't, I like that there's not one with Liam. So mm-hmm. whatever. I do um, shall we move on to talk about Lydia? Oh Yeah. It's really kind of refreshing that we get to see Lydia and Meredith talk about Bansheeism, um, sort of unperturbed by the world around them. You know, like it's upsetting that it's obviously all happening in her head in the spirit world because Lydia is catatonic, but it is kind of wonderful to just to watch conversation flow as it should have always between them. Yes, and I really appreciated how much work went into this episode of making Meredith like a actual human person. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, we kind of get a little bit of her backstory and sort of the reason why she ended up in Eichenhaus and why she is not really, um, a functional person in the same way that Lydia is. Um, because she just heard 
all people everywhere dying every minute of mm-hmm. every day. Um, and I can't imagine, I think it's helpful to kind of recontextualize Meredith because that's always been kind of the implication, but she is never presented as like quote unquote normal. No, as a whole person. Yeah. She's always been defined by her afflictions, which is really bothersome. Mm-hmm. Um, Leave it to a woman to write a good woman. <laughs> yes. And it, there's also something special about them being in like this um, ghost realm or like other plane of existence um, where they just get to be normal at each other. Um, rel- normal is relative, but they just get to be two banshees who can communicate properly to each other. Yeah, I mean, normal is relative in the way that they are able to exist unrestricted mm-hmm. around each other. And I, what I really appreciate is that Meredith is not sort of like letting Lydia like rest on her like traumas. She plays, like I said in the in the in my notes, like she plays bad cop, and she's determined to make Lydia learn this for herself, so that Lydia doesn't end up like her. Which is, I mean, I don't necessarily know if I like the idea that like this the whole thing is that Lydia could have always ended up like Meredith, which I, maybe that's not what they were going for. But Meredith is like, yeah, we're getting you out of here, and it's going to be teamwork, but it's also going to be a lot of hard work on your end. So buck up. Mm-hmm. Which is so interesting because I feel like in the past, Lydia has always been characterized as a person with a lot of determination. Um, you know, she just kind of gets things done. Um, she always has a solution for something when she decides she's going to get something done, she does it. And she clearly feels really trapped, um, in being in this like non-functional body and her like soul mind unclear existing outside of that. Um, and she feels like really frustrated and trapped and she has to use Meredith's like determination and faith in her to be able to actually break through that barrier. I mean, I think that you define it right there. Like sometimes like determination comes from like faith, external faith, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes you need that extra kick in the pants. And I think that Lydia, who is often sort of motivator go getter is unused to being, you know, like enabled to is, is, is unused to not being able to be a self-starter. And mm-hmm. that's why she's so, I think sort of reluctant at first, you know, she doesn't really want to try these things. And Meredith kind of is like, Nope, you want out, get out. And I think that that is um, a, an interesting teaching moment. And again, like Lydia couldn't get that advice advice from anybody else. It has to be somebody who understands her on like a fundamental level, like Meredith would. Yes. And I, what I think is cool about that is she is getting all of this advice from another banshee, but Meredith is so clear to say, you have to find your own way of doing this and I'm going to help you in whatever way that I can and give you all of the advice that I have at my disposal, but I'm not going to share with you what worked for me because we're fundamentally different people. Well, I also think that there's something interesting to be said about how like marginalized people are often like supposed to be defined by one group as opposed to like, you know, the voices of many. Yes. Well, and also like Meredith has seen, um, the destruction that her method brought upon people and doesn't want to recommend it because she doesn't want other people to get hurt. And she knows Lydia as being like part of Scott's pack and like the, we save people. We don't put, you know, glass in their face. Um, so it's kind of like a protection method also. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, it's important to raise those concerns and Mm -hmm. 
show Lydia that you can be determined and can find your own way. Um, and again, it's cool to see Meredith as like a, an actualized human being. Um, shall we move on? Yes. Who would you like to talk about next? I want to talk about uh, Theo, weirdly, and Malia. Okay. Theo has one agenda. His own. His own. But not in the fun, sexy, crazy Peter way. Just sort of in the, like, ugh. Well, it's funny because they both want power. Like, both Theo and Peter, all of the kind of abhorrent things that they do are in search of power and their own glorification. Um, But Theo was just a little weasel. Well, what's interesting to me is that Theo wants, like, sort of systematic power. He wants to be like the focus of a group and like a leader of a pack. Whereas Peter would rather just sort of be on his own, but be able to defeat anybody. It is like solely Mm self-serving and that is kind of what makes it so, uh, I think I said sexy, but I mean like fluid and it's why he can switch his alliances. And when he's betraying people, there's always a little bit of something he is actually giving them. Whereas like Theo's betrayals are, sort of firm and art again to like, because he wants something over other people, which Peter does too, but not in the like dictator way. Well, Peter's uh, goals always seem very local. Like he wants to be, he wants to be the alpha in Beacon Hills, but Theo, well, and because you want to be the alpha in Beacon Hills, you can't burn every bridge that you have. Sometimes it's worth it. Um, and also people keep rebuilding the bridges after he's burnt them because they need him. And he's very aware of that. Yeah. Theo has not made himself necessary to anybody. No. And I will also say like, I don't really care about his like sort of, I like Peter being local doesn't, you know, it doesn't tell me that he doesn't want greater power. It tells me that he's far more realistic about how well he can operate within the power systems in place. Theo is dumb enough to think that he can take, Dumb enough and determined enough to think that he can take the beast power and do, uh, I don't know. It is so grandiose and he doesn't appear to have in this moment a reason for wanting that particular power or um, a plot as to what he's going to do with it. He just wants power for power's sake, which is interesting to have him team up for Deucalion, team up with Deucalion in theory, who kind of wanted a similar thing. Um, Maybe, but I think that Deucalion still technically acts locally. Like his mm-hmm. sort of uh, big thing over the McCall pack is because he wanted a true alpha because that was going to make him more powerful. But that's still, again, like about uh, exercising power when you need to, mm-hmm. like in your pack. Whereas like, again, like I think a lot of Theo's determination is coming from naivety. He thinks he can rule the world and it's kind of embarrassing to watch. It's embarrassing to watch, but I... I also, and this is one of the things where I wish yet again, that we had more information about the dread doctors and Theo's relationship to them. Because in my mind, these, this has to be somehow connected. Like Theo has to want this power. He learned about it from the dread doctors. He has finally learned recently that they are not his friends and that they find him disposable basically. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I just wish that I understood more about like the power dynamics, what Theo actually knows about the beast. Why does he want that power? Is it because of his relationship to the dread doctors? Um, I feel like I want to know more about why he is so determined for that one thing. And maybe we'll find that out, but they also might never address it because I've seen this show and I know it's (laughs) (laughs) Um, Moving into a little bit about Malia. Mm -hmm. Malia is, um, it's interesting. Both her determination is sort of blinding her senses a little bit. She's not even listening to Brayden, who's raising serious concerns about the Desert Wolf. And Brayden should be the person who she's most operating like within the terms of, because Brayden has the most experience dealing with a Desert Wolf. Not only that, but Brayden is pretty clear about where her loyalties lie to herself. Mm-hmm. And also tangentially to Scott, because she def- she like rides for him. Yeah. You know, um, she that's her alpha. Like she's not necessarily part of the pack, but she goes to bat for Scott. Um, and it is crazy that Malia does not trust her over Theo. Yeah. And you know, it's funny when she says something's wrong, Theo's like, yeah, that was me. You didn't pick it up. You must've picked up a chemo signal. And it's like, Malia is somebody who's so instinct based because that's how she, you know, spent her formative years. Living in the woods. <laughs> as a coyote. As a coyote. As, you, as one does, you know. You know. Because just run away to the woods. Um, I have lots of bugs. Um, and it's really interesting to me that in her case, determination is clouding her vision. Like, it's not letting her see the whole picture. She's not thinking logically, which is something that Malia doesn't necessarily always do, but she's not acting correctly on her instincts, which is something that she generally... She's not even acting on her instincts, which is something she generally does. She should have acted on something being wrong. Um, But she is so, so obsessed with the idea of getting her mom before she gets her that uh, she kind of can't separate out all the details correctly. I think part of that also has to do with her relationship to Scott um, in that he will never understand why she is so determined to kill her mom. And she recognizes that that is going to be like a fundamental divide between the two of them. And there's really in her mind, no going back from that particular situation. And because she's already decided to do it and because she's already decided to kind of bring herself out of the pack to achieve this goal, it's so hard for her to look away. She has already decided to walk away from everything that has given her life stability in the last year. Um, And she sees this opportunity So, of course, she is having a difficult time um, recognizing and acting on instinct. Well, I think what's so interesting is that directly parallels what we know about Brayden is that she left what was like a life of stability because of how obsessed she got with hunting down the desert wolf. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why another reason that's why I think their dynamic is so interesting. I had so much fun watching their scenes together. Yes. And it's so and it's so frustrating in like a fun dunk on the basement kind of way of like Malia you should listen to Brayden yes yes yeah that was that was fun yeah um let's chitty chat about uh you know it's funny he wasn't a huge part of this episode but I want to talk about Styles Styles now that he has his best friend back really the action we see him taking is going to visit Lydia yeah and I think that Styles is sort of primary motivator through a lot of things has always been Lydia's safety and her well-being yeah and and over the past little bit it's been a little bit i don't want to say put on the back burner because obviously there are 
if if Leia's not actively in danger because she's just sitting in a bed in Eichenhaus, like that, you know, obviously shifts its um, importance. But I think now that his relationship with Scott is paired together, he can go back to being like, this is important. This is what I need to focus on. And that just that little conversation, he's just talking to her about her math homework. And he's like, I don't understand your math homework, but I bet you could help me understand your math homework. It one brought us back to high school, which I appreciated. Yes. And two, like demonstrated again, sort of what determination can look like in a softer term. Mm hmm. Also, if I were Natalie and I saw that that was the room where my kid was, I would throw a fit. I would Karen my way out of that friggin' hospital. I would literally pick her up, carry and her, take her out. Yes, doesn't matter. But what's not going without on. talking, asking to speak to your manager. Like things would like there would be issues. I would be furious. Um, and she's like mean to Styles. I think that's where some of my like uh, remembering her really negatively mm-hmm. because I think we sort of forgave her a little bit when she gets tricked by Dr. Valak to like putting Lydia back in Eichenhaus, but she's being purposefully like ignorant over the fact that that is clearly a, a trepanation scar. Clearly a trepanation scar. And it's one of those things where yes, she was tricked in the moment. And so I guess we can forgive um, her signing Lydia away to Eichenhaus, despite everything she knows about what went on with her mother. Um, but now that we have not seen Dr. Valak in many episodes, um, now that he's not there, what is stopping her from remembering how her mother was murdered there? Yeah. And, experience trepanation there also again like there has to be another outpatient like inpatient facility in like long-term care facility in beacon hills because we've seen it we know it's there yeah well natalie it's so weird because natalie um seems really determined to try and protect lydia but she doesn't seem to know what the problem is or she seems not really interested in the problem no altogether like when Malia flashed her eyes and was like you need to wake up and she just elected not to she's determined to be <laughs> I choose ignorant. not to see it I choose not to see it um yeah but yeah no i just think it's interesting how styles's priorities change as his you know when there when one element of stability like can change can revert styles back to like what we know him as which is somebody who is you know, sort of soft to one, just, just to Lydia, like most of his, and like Malia too, but like most of his like sort of, um, caring energy has always gone to her. Yeah. And particularly if we think about the driving force behind a lot of this episode is bringing the band back together. Of course, Styles is the one to go and talk to Lydia. He's pretty much the one that brought her in the band. So, I mean, yeah, Allison, yeah, Jackson, but like, Let's be real. Let's be real. It was his determination. Yes. He loves her. <laughs> he loves her so much. Um, okay. Last is Chris and Gerard and Parrish. Chris has to be pretty <laughs> damn determined to take down Labette if he brings Gerard along for the ride. Yeah. It brings me to another D word. Desperate. Desperate. <laughs> daddy issues. <laughs> determined, desperate daddy issues. Chris Argent. <laughs> What's it? Like gatekeep, girl, boss, <laughs> gaslight. Yeah. Determined. Daddy, daddy issues. issues. Desperate. desperate. Chris yeah. Argent. Um, 
the best moment in this episode is when <laughs> Parrish is like, that's your dad. <laughs> and like, Chris is like, I didn't pick him. <laughs> Which is, is good because after everything that happened between Chris and Gerard, plus everything that happened with Kate in season four, because it was never explicitly talked about, but the ghost of Gerard is hanging all over that. Um, I'm glad that Chris had that little moment to acknowledge that Gerard would not be here unless, um, you know, he really, 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 really needed him. Yes. Because he hates Gerard just as much as the rest of us do. Yeah. Um, but they have their great little team up moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they seem to be making a little bit of progress. Well, it's funny because I was just kind of like, oh yeah, when the Argents like team up, they like get shit done. And there has just only been one Argent for seasons now. Gerard says that explicitly. He's like, if you want to take down this beast, you need more than one Argent. Yeah. And that's true. Because they used to hustle, man. <laughs> like, they really could get shit done. And I'm thinking about all the times when Allison and Chris would show up and just, like, absolutely rain hell on somebody in season three. And it's like, this is a phantom shell of that, and I miss Allison dearly. But, like, the Argent family really does, like, talk they, about determination. It's in their blood. They have the technology. They have the lore. They have the knowledge. They have the bestiary. They have it all. George somehow knows what frequency the Dread Doctors operate on. Mm, I don't also, buy that. About, you know what? I'll, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rant for a second. The whole frequency bullshit is dumb as hell. Like, there's nothing that makes sense about, like, operating on frequencies that, like... You couldn't possibly imagine. Yeah, like, our... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Science side of Tumblr. <laughs> Please explain like, the Dread Doctor frequencies. Well, what I kind of, what I did kind of like about that is that Chris is obviously using the um, werewolf like frequency emitters. Gerard, yes. What did I say? Chris. Chris. Gerard is obviously using those, and as long as you didn't say Kate, we're good. Kate. Kate is not there. Um, when Gerard uses them, I remember in uh, previous instances where we've seen them, they have glowed white or like blue. And in the Dread Doctor scene, they're glowing red. Hmm. So I think that there's like an attempt at a distinction there, but it literally makes no sense. Um, the frequency stuff is dumb, full stop, but why would Gerard know that? I don't know. I don't know. You know what? We're asking questions. Cues and O's? Cues, cues and O's. Ask me your questions. Literally, number one, how does Gerard know? <laughs> Couldn't tell you. That was dumb. This show's dumb. <laughs> This show, this show is, is dumb. I, I mean, I mean and like, so and, who cares? But <laughs> okay. I was asking you about this while we were watching the episode. I'm wondering if you have evidence to back this up because I am so confused by the fact that the desert wolf who I think has a name, Corinne, Corinne. Yeah. Corinne like lost her some of her power to Malia, which doesn't make sense to me on a number of levels because Malia does not seem to be any like stronger or fa- like faster than any other werewolf or we've never met another were coyote besides um, Theo. Uh, she doesn't seem to have any like extra special powers. What is the dealio? I couldn't with tell that? you. I couldn't tell you. They needed to introduce that in season three and then build it out to here. It doesn't make any sense. And it also brings up all these questions about like, do all born where creatures steal power from their parents? Like, 
that doesn't make any sense to me. No, all like Cora and Derek are of were the same power until Derek turned into a full wolf, which Theo can also do. So I don't understand how that works either. I assume Cora could also turn into a full wolf at some point. Yeah. Given their heritage. Yeah. But it doesn't make any goddamn sense. No, that was dumb. To me. Any other questions? No other questions. No. What about you? Um, I don't have any other questions. Like, again, like I thought this episode was like straightforward. It was fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, do you have any observations? Oh yeah. Um, it is asinine <laughs> that 23 people have gone missing in a, in count- a-, in a county of 500,000 in, in two weeks, in two weeks, in two weeks. That is insane. That is crazy. And you can't even begin to look me in the eyes and say, maybe the beast is like further ranging than we think. No, it's like a local to Beacon Hills because Beacon Hills is a beacon. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, the county number, like it's like in a town of like 30,000. Like that's insane. That is crazy. And I know that the sheriff has been in the hospital for like the last couple of episodes, but there should have been a moment where someone brought him a report if this is what they were going to do. Or like just flash us to like what's happening in the sheriff's office where like you either have uh, Valerie or Parrish or that other blonde deputy whose name I don't remember being mm-hmm. like, this is really adding up, you guys. What do we do? Selinsky's in the hospital. Even though there are protocols for that, do your jobs. Um, <laughs> God, yeah. so annoying. Oh my okay. God. Um, Any other observations? Yeah, I loved bringing back Styles the pickpocket. He steals a key card from um, an Icon House guard. Oh, he's so sneaky. He is so sneaky. And that's also a, you know, when we when we see Lydia fighting, we're like, mm, how'd she get that good? But that's a skill we already know Styles has, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. I. I like the whole little conversation about what does saying sorry actually do if I don't prove to you that I am sorry and I don't take steps to rectify my actions. Yeah, but I hate the idea that it's like, if I almost took your life, I now have to save it. I don't think it needs to be an eye, like an eye for an eye type of deal, but I no. do like the idea that like, sorry is just a word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. I loved that Gerard is self-aware. We mentioned before that he calls himself a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. Very funny. Um, and I really liked the and, and the frequency is down, but I like the frequency goggles on Malia. And I well, I think that eyeball horror is like a particularly good trope. And I thought that that whole thing about tuning into frequencies was really stupid. But I think the image is really evocative, and mm-hmm. the like sort of you know you know the scene in the third season of American Horror Story where somebody gets their eyeball cut out with a melon baller. Yeah. Those vibes. Those vibes. I also kind of liked it in comparison to bringing Deucalion back um, because she's got those really great like tear blood streaks down her face. And then we see Deucalion who we've seen been. Oh, if somebody's (laughs) crying blood, like I'm there. Yeah. Aesthetics off the wall. I thought it looked really good, but those are my observations. What about you? One, I think that Theo and Malia should have been like a major ship. I think they have crazy chemistry. They really do. Maybe it was, but I was too tapped out at the time to know. So if you ship Theo and Malia, maybe it's Thalia. Let us know what their ship name is, first of all. Tell us what their ship name is, and um, you have exquisite taste. Exquisite taste. Skyzik? Thalia? (laughs) Sidia? They both have such amazing hair. They do. 
Yeah, I think that's part of it, to be good, honest. Good hair, good good looks, good vibes. I mean, bad vibes from Theo, but, you know, good vibes between each other mm-hmm. in, like, a chemistry sense. Sure. Uh, my next observation just said Stidia, all caps, exclamation point. Because, <laughs> again, hot girls ship Stidia. There's been so little of it. I know. Recently. And also, Lydia has not had anything to do. And that crushes me. And so seeing Styles with her, I was like, he loves her. He loves her. That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was it. <laughs> do you have pack stats? I sure do. We have five eyes. There's a really fun moment when Scott sees Gerard like hale and healthy and he's like, Chris, how dare you? But glows his eyes at him. I also love when Gerard was like, that color looks good on you because it was a little bit like, yeah, we're yeah. unfortunately equals now, you know, because <laughs> last they last encounter they had like. Scott was just a little sweet baby angel. A little teen wolf, if you will. A teeny bopper wolf. And now he's a young adult teen he's wolf. He's a man wolf. <laughs> yes. He's a, he's a wolf. At this point, Tyler Posey's like well into his 20s. Yeah. He's a dude wolf, if you will. I think that's very appropriate. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved that moment. But we had five eyes, two claws, including one little shing from Dukelian, Dukelian, which I loved. Yes. Um, no shirts. Everybody was very clothed. Fine by me. And that's fine. I did not notice any ads. I'm sure somebody drove a car. I'm sure. With a Toyota. A cell phone. And other than that one, very spicy. It was so <laughs> high rent. We only had one. All right. The whole episode. Oh, I missed you, Kalian. I missed him. Yeah. I actually think that maybe I would give him my health of the week. No. Come on. Who's no. your actual alpha of the week? My actual alpha of the week is probably Meredith. Yeah, I'll give it to Meredith. I'll give yeah. it to Meredith or uh, maybe even Malia or Brayden. And Brayden, yeah. I think Malia making the choice to save Deaton was a big, big, big thing. Big move for her. Yes. So I'll yeah. give it to Malia and Brayden and then with a sidestep to Meredith and then to Killian for being there. It's also very fun. You know how when um, people like go underwater in movies and you're like, there's no way they're holding their breath for that long? Uh-huh. When the beast was like trying to grab Deaton's chair, I'm like, he literally would have just bitten Deaton's head off. Uh, yeah, at yeah, this yeah. Point. God, the beast looks bad. We didn't mention this this episode, but CGI is bad. Bad. Let's close it on that. Uh, if you guys <laughs> like this podcast, yeah, just in the worst possible note. If you guys like this podcast, you guys can leave us a review on iTunes. Um, we'll read it out loud. We told you. We read one. It was great. You can follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at TeenWolfRewolf or join our Facebook group, TeenWolfRewolf Podcast. Come, share the memes, hang out with us. Uh, if you really liked this episode, like I said at the beginning, you guys can buy us a coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash TeenWolfRewolf. You can also buy our stickers on Redbubble. Um, if you guys have other things you want on stickers, please let us know. We've gotten a couple requests, which is always fun, so we'll get those designs made. Um, and then, is that it? I believe so. Cool. Then we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Ah, woo!